You know, what you believe is very important. And uh, part of what makes a church a church is making sure you believe the right stuff. And uh, doctrine is very, very important. And uh, praise the Lord for the good message in the song. Uh, Genesis chapter 45, if you have a Bible with you this morning, Gen- uh, uh, Genesis chapter number 45. And again, I appreciate your faithfulness. Many of you have made New Year resolutions, <coughs> perhaps, to uh, be more faithful to church. And by the way, that's a great resolution to make. And uh, just stay with it. And uh, there's encouragement. There is, uh, there's help. <coughs> there's uh, blessing in just being faithful. Uh, you know, you can have all kinds of talent and all kinds of abilities and so forth, but one of the greatest abilities you can have is, uh, is just dependability, just be there, and uh, availability for what the Lord has for you. Stand with me, please. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter number 45. And we'll begin reading in verse number 17. Genesis chapter 45 beginning in verse number 17 and reading down through verse 24. The Bible says this, this of course, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as is all of the Word of God. Uh, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, lay your beasts, and go, get you into the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, And come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. See, the Bible says we're supposed to eat the fat. Amen? It's in the book. All you health food fanatics, you see that right there. It's in in the Word, okay? (laughs) I'm going to preach this book whether you like it or not. Amen? Verse 19. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father, and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with the corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. Verse 24, So he sent his brethren away. This is talking about Joseph. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And here's the message. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. See that ye fall not out by the way. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments this morning as we open the Word of God. What a blessed book it is. And how blessed we are to have a copy of it. Uh, there's nothing like it in all the world. The most powerful uh, thing in all the world are, is, are the words of Almighty God. Your words. For it was by your words that you created everything in six 24-hour periods. And, and uh, your, your power rests with your word. And Father, we claim that power again this morning. We ask you to help us by your spirit, by your word. I pray that you'd uh, uh, help me, Father, to be what I ought to be and help me to uh, convey the truth uh, as you see fit this morning. Bless these who've come to hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Joseph's brothers have been shocked. You see, it's been over 20 years since they last saw Joseph. The last time they saw Joseph was when the Ishmaelites came 
and had, uh, uh, had taken Joseph. Actually, they didn't take him. They, were, they sold, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And uh, for 20 measly pieces of silver was the price for Joseph. The last time Joseph's brothers saw him, the wagon train was taking him away from Canaan and down to Egypt as a slave trader. At that time, Joseph was 17 years old. And now he is second in command to the most powerful man in the known world at that time. We fast forward the story here, and no longer is Joseph 17. Now he's in his 30s, and he is, if you want to call it, vice pharaoh of Egypt. He's second in command. And here he is. Uh, he's, he's not recognized immediately by his brothers. They don't know. They have no idea. They thought Joseph had been... Who knows what happened to him? All they knew is they sold him as a, as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. And, and by the way, Joseph is a wonderful type of Christ in the Old Testament. Of course, Jesus being sold uh, by Judas or betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver in the New Testament. Joseph uh, typifies that in the Old Testament. They'd come to Egypt to buy corn and grain to take back home to sustain them through the famine. Uh, th through a series of events... And you know, I will not belabor the story this morning, but Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He had gone from being uh, a, uh, sold into slavery and then into Potiphar's house, and he ascended in the ranks in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife uh, told lies about him, and he found himself in prison there in Egypt, in Pharaoh's own prison for two years. And through a series of events there, God worked it all out and, and, and brought Joseph into, Pharaoh, into favor with Pharaoh and interpreted Pharaoh's dreams about how that there were going to be seven years of plenty and that seven years of plenty would be followed by seven years of famine. And, uh, and because of that interpretation, Pharaoh elevated, promoted Joseph to a, a prominent position in his kingdom. And here we see Joseph as somebody. His brothers come to, uh, to Egypt to buy grain because the famine was, uh, was very sore in the land of Canaan, as it was in all of the known world at that time. And the world came to Egypt to buy grain, as, uh, as Joseph had, had recommended, uh, and so forth. And so, here they are. They, uh, they see Joseph, and through a series of events, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They could not believe it. Can you imagine the fear that struck at their heart when they realized this is him? <laughs> This is that 17-year-old punk that we thought we'd gotten rid of. This is that kid. Last time we saw him, the dust was coming up behind the camel train as they headed down toward Egypt. And now here he is, the vice pharaoh of the land of Egypt, the second most powerful world, or second most powerful man in the world, you could argue. And here he is. He's going to kill us. I would think that. You would think that. We would think that Joseph's thought processes would be, revenge is mine, saith Joseph. We would think that Joseph's thought processes would be, <laughs> I don't get mad, I get even. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school. But no, <clears throat> those weren't Joseph's thoughts because Joseph understood that God had a master plan and he was just part of that plan. And by the way, God has a master plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. You may not understand all the twists and turns of how God has brought you to where you are right now. In fact, you might be in the middle of one of those twists and turns, and you have no idea what God is doing. But rest assured something, 
in your life, God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. We just need to trust him. We need to trust him. After an emotional reunion with his brothers, Pharaoh tells Joseph to send word back to, uh, to uh, Canaan and to bring Jacob, his father, and the rest of the family back to Egypt. In the verses that we just read a few moments ago, we, we found where Joseph was, boy, he was loading them down with all kinds of stuff and all kinds of goodies because he wanted it to, to be known that when his father, <coughs> Jacob, saw the wagon train and saw all the, the stuff that the brothers were taking home, that what they were saying to him was going to be the truth. They wanted, he wanted to make sure that Jacob understood that all this was not a fairy tale, it wasn't a dream, that Joseph really was in charge and that their family was to be salvaged because of it. Joseph said to his brothers, he said, you're not going to just survive the famine there in Canaan. You're going to enjoy the best that there is. He said, I'm going to bring you back home. I'm going to bring you back here to Egypt. And you're, we're going to tell, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to nurture you. And God <coughs> worked all of this stuff out. It was in God's master plan for me to be sold into slavery. It was God's master plan for me to be in Potiphar's house and then to be imprisoned and then to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He brought me through all of this so that I can be a blessing to you right here and right now. So he gives his brothers some instructions. He said in verse number 19, he said, Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. He said, bring all the family. He said, bring all the kids, bring all the grandkids. He said, bring all the nephews and nieces. He said, and bring my dad and bring, <clears throat> bring everybody here. Verse number 20. He said, also regard not your stuff, for the good of the land of Egypt is yours. Verse 21, and the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. Now, the message is found in the next verse, verse 25. Notice what Joseph said to his brothers as they leave Egypt to go and get Jacob their father. I want you to picture it with me in your mind. Joseph is standing there in his all of his royal regalia of Egypt. And there's a, a wagon train. And there are his brothers at the head of the wagon train. And there's all these wonderful things that Joseph has included with them. And there's, there's all kinds of camels and so forth. They're getting ready to make that trip from Egypt across the Sinai Desert, <clears throat> across that Sinai Peninsula, back up to Canaan to go get uh, uh, Jacob, Joseph's father. And Joseph gives them one piece of advice, one last parting instruction notice what he says in verse number 25 see that ye fall not out by the way see that ye fall not out by the way now <clears throat> i looked at that statement and pondered it and thought about it if i may paraphrase what joseph is saying to his brothers is this don't let petty differences keep you from giving this good news to my daddy don't fall out by the way. Don't get sidetracked by the way. Understand, it was a long journey back from Egypt across the Sinai Desert back to Canaan. And surely, <clears throat> Joseph's brothers, probably, if, if they had uh, been like many of us, human nature being what it is, I'm sure that Reuben looked at, at, uh, uh, at, uh, at uh, uh, Naphtali or Zebulun or Asher or Dan or one of those other brothers, I'm sure they said, this was your fault. I told you not to sell him into slavery. I told you that was a bad idea. Now, hey, what are you blaming me for? It wasn't my idea, it was your idea. 
I wanted to kill him. <laughs> and uh, we just sold him. He said, he said, see that you fall not out by the way. I want to preach to you on that little line this morning. See that you fall not out by the way. Don't let petty differences keep you from getting the good news to my father. You see, uh, uh, I'm sure Joseph, having forgiven them all, uh, lays this obligation upon them. Uh, and and he, he tells them, look, don't fuss with one another. Just get the job done. Don't, uh, don't let the petty differences, hey, as you travel and as you think about all the events that have transpired over the last several days, hey, <clears throat> just forget about the past and let's look to the future because there's a great future ahead of us, but don't get sidetracked by petty differences. Some Christians get sidetracked easily. We're all prone to getting sidetracked, aren't we? Sometimes bitterness sidetracks us. Sometimes discouragement sidetracks us. Sometimes uh, the unfaithfulness of others or unmet expectations uh, sidetrack us. Sometimes uh, people are sidetracked by the circumstances of life. There's all kinds of different things that the devil would use to get us out of the way, so to speak, to get us uh, maybe uh, uh, bickering a little bit or maybe fussing a little bit or maybe slowing us down a little bit. Hey, I want to just, just try to keep us on course this morning. I want you to know several things. We can't afford to fall out by the way because, first of all, there's a message to tell. There is a message to tell. Joseph said, don't fall out by the way. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get all caught up in the minutia of trying to place blame about where you think it ought to go with each other. He said, there's the good news that needs to get home to my daddy. He said, old Jacob is, is, is hundreds of miles away across the Sinai Peninsula, across the Sinai wilderness and desert there. And he needs to know that there's good news, that there's salvation, that there's deliverance from this famine. He needs to know the good news. Hey, I'm simply saying we too have a message to deliver to Waterford, Michigan. It's the best news in all the world. It's the news that Jesus saves. It's the news that, there's, that, that there was a, uh, <clears throat> yes, there's a, a, a sin problem. Yes, there is the curse of sin on this old sin-cursed world. And yes, there are all of the, uh, the, the things that, uh, that, that are byproducts of sin that we see in our society day after day after day after day. But hey, the good news is there's a Savior. The good news is. The message is that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. It's the message of God's saving grace. It's the message that you can have a home in heaven. It's the message that Jesus is still alive and he's still saving and he's still forgiving and, and names are still being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hey, salvation and spreading the gospel, it's not passe. It's not old-fashioned. It's not uh, from a different dispensation. We need to share the good news and we don't, the, we don't want to let anything get in the way of that. Nothing should get in the way of that. See that you fall not out by the way. We can't afford to get sidetracked by envy or jealousy or strife or petty differences or personality clashes or unnecessary division. Hey, far too many folks are too busy contending for everything under the sun except for let's get the good news out. You know, the devil, he really doesn't care how he sidetracks us as long as he sidetracks us. We got we to see the big picture here. The devil doesn't much care if, we, if he can get us to fall out by the way by some besetting sin or by some circumstance or by some difference or by some disagreement. I'm not trying to fix anything. I'm simply trying to give us a, a big uh, heads up about how the devil works. 
He simply doesn't want the news to get back that Jesus saves. And if he can stop that, he doesn't much care how he stops that. Sometimes he uses our own laziness. Sometimes he uses our... Anybody home? Anyway, <laughs> battery's dead? Okay. All right, hey, I'll scream when I step away from the pulpit, okay? Uh, <clears throat> but uh, he doesn't much care how he does it. He just wants the news not to be heard. That's why he makes batteries go dead in, in microphones during the service and things like that. The devil walks alongside the Lake Crest Baptist Church, and he knows that he will never defeat us from the outside. We need to understand that. The devil understands that he knows we will never be defeated from the outside in. Churches are defeated from the inside out. Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. Don't miss that. The gates of hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Hey, you're part of a, a very powerful organization. Not because of the pastor and not because of the people, but because of the founder. It's because of Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church. And ladies and gentlemen, it's the Son of God who is the cornerstone of the local, independent, fundamental, Bible-preaching Baptist church. And because of that, the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. The only way that we're defeated is if we defeat ourselves. Is if we fall out by the way, so to speak. And by the way, our mission is clear. Our mission is to get the good news to everybody. This is to be a soul-winning station. This is to be a good news outlet. This is to be a place where people see the light of Jesus and it's shed abroad uh, <clears throat> through the, uh, those of us who not only attend here on Sunday, but hey, the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, we come here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we're supposed to get all fired up. You know why? So we can go out and let our light shine out there. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And what we're supposed to do, church, is to take our light and not just shine it in church so that everybody can see how good we are because that's not what the light's for. The light so that other people can see him. See him. Satan would use anything and everything to sidetrack us, to get us to fall out by the way. I said, number one, we can't afford to fall out by the way because there's a message to tell. Number two, we can't afford to, to uh, fall out by the way because there's tre there are treasures to gain. There are treasures to gain. Look at verse number 20 with me, if you will. Genesis chapter 45, verse number 20. Also regard not, notice the next two words, your stuff. <laughs> also regard not your stuff for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. He said, now look guys, he's talking to his brothers, Joseph was. He said, don't worry about the stuff there that would hold you back. He said, because you have treasures down here in Egypt that you, don't, you can't even comprehend. You can't even comprehend. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks are sidetracked in this life by stuff. Stuff. The minutia of this life. I understand that everybody has to live, and to live you have to make a living, but our society is consumed with the acquiring of just stuff. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the, what's the next word? Things. Interesting, isn't it? He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
God is not saying it's wrong to have things. God is simply saying our affections, our affinity, our, we shouldn't be tied down to the, the here and the now and the material uh, uh, possessions of this world. He said, look, we can't afford to be sidetracked that. He said, I'll promise you this, where you're going, you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine. Joseph said to his brothers, he said, look, I know you're going to go back down there and you're going to want, you're going to, want to bring a lot of stuff back. I can't stand behind there very long, so I'll just have to talk louder. He said, he said, you're going to have to just leave a lot of stuff there. He said, look. Now, his brothers, by this time, they were married, and they had children of their own and so forth. And I can imagine one of the conversations that, or some of the conversations that went on back in, in uh, Canaan was, now, honey, you can't take that. When you go on vacation, you got duffel bags. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to preach this book whether you like it or not. You go on vacation, you got a, you got a duffel bag. It's about that long, about like so. And inside of that duffel bag is everything you could possibly need for a week. You got your toothbrush in there. You got your shaving kit. You got everything. everything. And you say, honey, we ready to go? Just a minute, dear. I got some stuff. <laughs> and so you load your stuff in the car, and you go get some stuff, and go back and get some more stuff, and go back and get some more stuff, and you go back and get some more stuff. Now, if you're married with children, oh, my soul. I remember after our first one was born, <clears throat> when we went anywhere with Tim, you know, man, how great was it when you could just get up in the middle of the night or whatever, and if you wanted to go to Krispy Kreme and get a dozen donuts, you just got in the car and off you went. And then kids came along. You don't do that anymore. You got diaper bags. You got, you got all kinds of paraphernalia that you got to load in there because you never know. You have to plan for the inevitable. If the world ends, you have to be ready for that whenever you have a kid with you, but that's just part of it. But Joseph said to his brothers, he said, don't regard your stuff. He said, look, don't worry. Don't bring everything. He said, look, I'm going to take care of you down here. Look, look, may I remind all of us, we're pilgrims. We don't need to get so attached to all the, the stuff of this world. I'm not just talking about material possessions now. And please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching against those things. I'm simply saying sometimes we get weighed down in our efforts to make an impact on the next life because of all the temporary stuff in this life. We can't afford to be sidetracked. He said, he said there are treasures to, be, to gain. He said, look, I'm going to bring you down to Egypt. I'm going to take care of you. Look, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be in amazement. Not the half has been told, God said. He said, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of the man the things that God's prepared for those of us who love him. Hey, let me tell you something. It's going to be wonderful. Let's not get so sidetracked by the here and the now and this little petty problem and this little difference and this little uh, hangnail here and, and this tough time there. I'm not minimizing your problem. I'm simply saying, let's not lose sight of where we're going. Don't lose sight of where you're going. Number three. He said, see that you fall not out by the way. He said, there's a message to deliver. He said, there's treasures to be gained. He said, number three, there's a generation to be salvaged. There's a generation to be salvaged. 
Look at verse number 19, Genesis chapter 45, verse 19. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones. Notice what he says, for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. You see, it wasn't just Jacob that came back to Egypt to be nurtured by Joseph. It was the whole family. The whole family came back. The little, the, 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 uh, the little crumb crunchers there, little rugrats. Oh, yeah, they all came. Hey, the, the little ones and the, and, and, and the teenagers and the young adults. Hey, the whole fam all the souls of Jacob came back to Egypt to be nurtured by Joseph. Hey, we can't afford to get sidetracked for the sake of those little ones in the nursery this morning. Hey, we need, to, we need to hold the line. We need to make sure that there's a church on 35 Airport Road that stays true to the never-dying Word of God. Why? Because those folks over there who don't even know anything yet, they need to know one day that Jesus saves. And they, they need to know, thus saith the Lord. They need to have the whole counsel of God preached to them and talked to them and nurtured in them. Hey, I'm simply saying for the sake of the kids and for the sake of the teenagers, how many times have I seen parents say amen and support the preaching when their children are young, but I've seen those same parents get sidetracked and turned aside when Billy turns 13 or 14. We can't afford that. Hey, we can't get turned out by the way. We can't get sidetracked. The preaching about uh, the, the, the wickedness of our day and the filthy rock music was fine when they were young, but the, and, and the, the preaching about modesty and the preaching about standards and conviction, it was fine when they were young. But wait a minute. We can't, we can't just throw in the towel because things get hard or because the world has influence. You see... The stand against the wickedness of our generation was applauded when, when they're small. But what about now? I'm simply saying we can't afford to fall out by the way for the sake of those who come behind us. Can't afford that. By the way, it's important that, that our kids buy in. It's important. It's important for our young people to say, hey, you know what? That book's not just for mom and dad. That's for me. Hey, those songs that the choir sings and those songs from the hymn book, hey, that's not just for my grandparents. Hey, that's for me. That's my kind of Christianity. That's my kind of old-time religion. That's my kind of biblical preaching and teaching. They need to buy in it for themselves. But wait a minute, here's the problem. How are they going to buy in if all we as, parent, if all we as parents do is cave in? We can't expect them to purchase in to what we're selling if every time we turn around, we're caving in to what Oswald thinks is popular or what Harriet thinks is acceptable. You see, right is, wrong, uh, right, is right in 2019 just like it was in 1959. Hey, Dad, there's a generation to salvage. Hey, Mom, there's a generation to salvage. Hey, Sunday school teacher, they're children to salvage. Hey, bus worker, they're children to salvage. Hey, this is not the time to pack it in. This is not the time to say, well, you know, back in the day we used to do this. No, it ought, it ought to be, hey, <clears throat> here's where we stand. We stand upon the Word of God, period. Period. Let's, let's not get sidetracked. See that you fall not out by the way. You know, why, you know how churches change? Churches change because we, we get away from the foundation of what we believe and why we believe it that's why churches change it doesn't happen overnight it happens gradually over time we can't afford that why because there's a message to tell there's treasures to be gained hey we're we're going to another place there's a generation to salvage and then i want you to see number four there's relationships to be restored 
There are relationships to be restored. Verse 27, Genesis chapter 45. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. There was a relationship, or there were relationships, I should say, that needed to be restored. Think about this. Joseph is now at least 37 years old. He's somewhere between 37 and 43 years of age. It's been many years. He was 17 the last time he saw his daddy. 17. It's been anywhere from 20 to 27 years since his eyes laid on, uh, were laid upon his father or his father saw him. His father thought he was dead. That's what the brothers told him. They said, hey, Joseph's dead. So here's, his, here's his coat. Here's the blood on it. Some wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph had no, or Jacob had no idea Joseph was still alive. No idea. And he said, Joseph, when he sent his brothers away from Egypt, and he said, go tell my father, what was he looking forward to? He was looking toward the restoration of a very important relationship in his life. He was getting ready to see his daddy again. It had been years since he'd seen him. And when Jacob got word of what was going on, don't you know he was blown away? The story that they had to tell him, I'm sure didn't compute in the mind of this old man named Jacob. But the Bible says that when he saw the wagons, when he saw the physical evidence of what Joseph has sent, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. He said, woo-wee. He said, how do you know he said that? It's in the Hebrew. It's right there. He said, I can't wait. I'm going to go see my boy. This is going to be awesome. It says the spirit revived. You know, the spirit of God's people is only revived when we do what we're supposed to do. We talk about revival in our generation. Revival is not something that happens at the White House or at the House of Representatives or the legislative branch of government in Lansing. Hey, revival is something that happens in God's house. Revival is something that happens at my house and at your house as God's people. Hey, he said, wilt thou not revive us again? He's talking to saved people there. Not talking to the world. You can't revive something that's never been alive yet. Hey, it's our job to get revived and fired up and, and, and true to that book right there and hold on to what God has given us from, and, and pass down from generations who came before us so that we can go out and make a difference in this whole sin cursed world. That's what it's all about. There are relationships to be restored. How many times have God's people gotten out of sorts? Hey, we, by the way, we need to value relationships with God's people. God's people. Hey, we can't be fussing and carrying on and griping and, and, uh, and, and sowing seeds of discord among God's people. Why? Because there's a message to tell. There's a treasure to gain. There's relationships to be restored. There's a generation to be reclaimed. Hey, let's make sure that we're what we ought to be. We see so much of ourselves in the lives of Joseph's brothers. <laughs> everybody won't blame everybody else. Reuben, I told you it's your fault. Naphtali, if you hadn't have said what you said, we wouldn't be in this mess. All your fault. No, no, no. He said, see that you fall not out by the way. Don't get all messed up in that. He said, just get home. Just get home. Bring, jo bring Jacob back here. Bring your wives back. Bring your kids back. Bring that. Look, just leave your stuff there. I got all that stuff taken care of down here. Hey, you just need to be here. And I say to the 
Lake Crest Baptist Church this morning. Finally, there's a father to please. There's a father to please. Verse number 28, And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Hey, at the end of the story, the greatest thing about all of it was the father was pleased. Jacob was a happy man. You know why he was happy? Because there was a relationship that was going to be restored. <clears throat> there was a family that was going to be made whole again. Boy, what a, what a great story. What a great story. You know what? Our motivation, our primary motivation ought to be to please the Heavenly Father. May I ask you a question this morning? What else matters? I mean, really. What else matters? When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day, and by the way, if you're saved, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, I don't want anybody judging me. <laughs> Got news for you. <laughs> you being judged by other people is the least of your worries, okay? You're going to stand before the God of heaven who knows everything. You're going to stand before the one who died on a cross who has holes in his hands where nails used to be, holes in his feet where a nail pierced through both feet, and <clears throat> a brow that's scarred from the crown of thorns that was there, and this book's going to be there, and that's the basis for our judgment. You don't have to worry about anybody else with flesh on them judging. I'll promise you that. I'm simply saying, when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, what else is going to matter? Except, did we please the Father? Did we please the Father? If you're here this morning, you're not saved. The Bible says you're going to stand at a great white throne judgment. And the purpose of that great white throne judgment is because the Father was not pleased. Because, you see, everyone who stands at that great white throne judgment will be those who've rejected Jesus Christ. And the purpose of that great white throne judgment will be the sentencing where you're sentenced to eternity in a lake of fire, <clears throat> death forever and ever and ever. What a horrible time that's going to be. A horrible time. You need not go to that judgment. This morning, you need to get saved. You need to trust Christ. Hey, <clears throat> the message that we have to send the to the community is the message that you need to have this morning if you're without Christ. And that message is, Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to save you. Hey, you say, well, preacher, this is the first time I've ever been to a church like this. I've never seen anything like this in my life. <clears throat> but hey, we're here for the purpose of getting the gospel to people. And we'll do that by taking it out to where they are. But if you came in here this morning, not knowing for sure that heaven is your home, the message is Jesus loves you. So much so that he died on a cross to save your soul from hell. He paid the penalty for your sins through his death and his burial and then was, were justified, the Bible says, by his resurrection three days later. All you need to do this morning is simply receive what Jesus did for you. Hey, you're what it's all about. And when you get saved, when anyone gets saved, the Father's pleased. The Father's pleased. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. See that you fall not out by the way. Be careful that you don't get sidetracked because there's a message to tell.